The One in Your Side is a podcast recorded on the various lands of First Nations peoples, land that always was and always will be Aboriginal land. While there's air that is breathed and water that nourishes and provides, ownership of this land remains unresolved. Respects are paid to elders past and present in the ongoing quest for self-determination and reclamation of land. Hello, this is Michael M on the internet, and also this is the first episode where I can actually boldly declare the name of this channel, Thorn in Your Side. Welcome. One other bonus is that I've been able to wrangle an American. I think it's been quite serendipitous because there's been events happening this very week that um, that I think makes what we're about to discuss quite topical. I would like to introduce Ruth, who has her own podcast channel over in the US. Hello there, Ruth. Hey, Michael. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. And yes, we Americans are still alive over here. (laughs) We are still um, mostly doing okay. At least we are eating and uh, maybe not as bad off as it seems from every country in the world i think but thank you just to recap for people out there because i know there's a few mates and lefties that um have really tried their best to to tune out because it has literally become a bit circusy at this point over the past week there's been a a u.s debate between the two leading candidates over in america with uh election to happen in november this debate happening between Donald Trump and Joe Biden, Republican and Democrats, respectively. The debate did not really have much value to the greater audience, I would argue. Just when we thought that was the end of the spectacle, then we find out a day or two later, Ruth, that I think Trump became diagnosed with COVID-19. Yeah, you can't write this shit, basically. (laughs) No. Did you want me to comment on the debate and then uh, COVID? Or? Well, firstly, I just want to know if you're safe, Ruth, because Trump's been diagnosed with COVID, but then there's been further articles saying that suddenly all these advisors are coming down with the germ. And yeah, I, I would hazard to think that it, this is potentially a hyper epidemic that's about to shoot through the US elite. Um, so... Uh, Everything okay on your end, Ruth? It, it hasn't trickled down? It hasn't, uh, it hasn't come out your way, has it? Well, that's an interesting question because there's really two Americas. There's Trump's America uh, with him, his elites, and also his followers, his right-wing followers, who are mostly Republican. They, uh, most of them, feel angry about wearing masks and feel like, they were talking about uh, COVID being a hoax. And then there's people who are 
uh, more democratic, more liberal, progressive, and leftists even, who care about the community, and that's a, a big deal. And so we wear masks, and we try to do social distancing and that kind of thing. And so states that are, there are actual, like I live on the West Coast, I live in Seattle, and the entire West Coast is liberal. And so we have our liberal view of masks that we want to protect the community. So, for instance, I was at a protest today with four groups, Extinction Rebellion, Refuse Fascism, Veterans for Peace, and then the new group, Red Rebels, which is a, a contingent of Extinction Rebellion. And everyone was masked up the entire time and tried to social distance. So we're doing fine in Seattle as far as COVID goes. Our numbers are going down. When I walk out on the street, everybody has a mask. Everybody has a mask going into restaurants, everything like that. So we're doing good. Thank you. Yeah, there's a long weekend that in Australia that's happening right now. And I think um, Americans might be more familiar with it as a, a Labor Day long weekend. So three days, three days of freedom. But usually the litmus test under these circumstances is whether um, it's basically a, a social gasm for people and they go out and about and they do whatever. So for me, it's a bit of a test to see how much of the, the information that's been filtered out from uh, from heads of state is actually how effective that's been. So Ruth, on your end, is there a similar experience in the US in terms of how you get information regarding COVID or is it just very much depending upon which neck of the woods in the US you're at, because I get the sense there isn't too much confidence in any advice and any relations that um, Trump has with respective states and local infrastructure in the US. That's a great question. It's sort of hard to answer because uh, there's so many ways to look at it. But in one sense, it does depend on what state you're in. I know most of our mainstream media is liberal based, so um, the advice there is going to be respected by those of us in more liberal states, but if you're in, say, a really Republican right-oriented southern state, you're going to mock the, the advice coming to you about the importance of, say, masking or social distancing. And there's been another development today that's very interesting that you might want to talk about. It's about social media and the response to President Trump developing COVID. Have you heard anything about that over there in Australia? Um, the info that we've copped so far is that a whole bunch of Republican staff members attached with Trump have come down with COVID-19. And there seems to be an indication that Trump is the virus epicenter and everyone's just catching it around him. Other than that, there's been the gags that perhaps how Trump should fix himself is um, basically just shooting up a whole bunch of bleach. Other than uh -huh. that, that, that's all yeah. that we've heard. Is, is there something that's being missed here, Ruth? Well, just today, when Trump came down with COVID, I'm on social media a lot, and I have a, a, a large contact base and run a leftist group. And so I see a lot of the leftist responses, and a lot of it basically 
people were not sorry that he came down with it. And that's a nice way of saying it. Mm. Um, and then what's happened, it's come out in the news that all of the people who run social media, run Facebook, run Twitter, run Instagram, all of those places, they are actually going to delete posts from people who, let's just say, are happy <laughs> that their political opponent has developed a deadly disease. And I'm not going to weigh in one way or the other, but it's really interesting that this has come out today, that this is a huge issue that not only how you view the instructions from the state and federal government, but now your responses to the whole scenario and that Trump and a lot of other people are now infected is, is being um, deleted if your opinion is one that is looked upon as not uh, within the community guidelines. It's really a civil war over here. Everything is turning into this right-left um, standoff. I think that really lends itself to how the Black Lives Matter movement has also gained further momentum through that idea of a, of a more socialised surveillance of, um, of things and institutions. Uh, my thoughts. Yes, I, I agree. I think that before we had social media, the only surveillance was <laughs> from the part of the government on us. And so we now, I, I'm not sure that racism has gotten worse. I just think that now we know about all of these instances and even all of these murders where before we would have had no idea and they would have just been obscure forever. Mm-hmm. Well, let's let's just get back to the events of the the past week. Yeah, we've we've talked about the the prez coming down with the the bug and um, how he's uh, inadvertently infected the remainder of his staff. But there was a just as bigger an event that happened earlier on that week, which I think already is being put into the background, and that's the actual debate. So for me, it's it's something as fundamental as two ill-mannered people just squaring off with each other, and this being done in a very ginormous audience, a global audience. Um, so here we are, Ruth. We're having a regular chat. I'm saying stuff. I get to stop when I finish. You're allowing me to do that. You talk. I'm allowing you to talk. And then we disseminate accordingly in a very respectful way. But none of that fundamental stuff happened in that debate. It gave me a very physical reaction um, in the sense that it took me back to times in my life where I'm sitting in a meeting or having supervision with a real asshole boss and it's, it's very much a one-way street in terms of what they just need to say and you just basically got to sit there and, and cop it. And that's the same type of experience I had watching this debate where I just sat there and I copped it. Um, and, but at the same time, it's like I just had the sense that this is some historically dysfunctional precedent happening here. I think, Ruth, you were telling me prior to the podcast that you, you actually did your best to, um, to actually administer some, some self-care before, during, and after the debate. Would you like to talk a bit more about that? Um, first, I should um, just quickly run down where I am on the political spectrum. 
here in America, we have two main parties, Democrat and Republican. Republican is very right-leaning, and Democrat is sort of center, a little bit liberal. I am... Oh, sorry, Ruth. Um, I might just cut in there because the other difference there is Americans might have a different definition of liberalism compared to Australians' definitions. Both aren't wrong. It's just different interpretations. I might preface that. I'll, I'll leave you to it. Sorry to interrupt. Just very quickly. Oh, no, no, no. Um, so I'm left of that. I'm not a Democrat, so I'm not really for Biden or Trump. Um, because I was for Bernie, and now that he's out, I'm I'm probably going to vote for the Green Party. Hmm. So I didn't watch it. And the reason I didn't watch it is, first and foremost, I was afraid that, see, I have high blood pressure, and I was afraid that immediately I, I don't like either one of their voices. or They're bullying, especially Trump's. And so what I did is I read all of my friends reports online and um, heard about how it was just like a shouting match and as far as Biden goes people said he seemed calmer but I have a feeling it's just because they gave him enough medication <laughs> he did seem quite and frail when he like that's something I noticed what Trump or what Biden reminds me of it's like they've given him stage direction to act like Dirty Harry. <laughs> um, and so, like, and it's not natural to him because, I, you know, I think he's more mild-mannered than that, but he tries to have, like, a sneering face and he tries to th say things like, you know, do you feel lucky, mm. um, in a sense. Um, and so I think he was trying to be that way, like, telling... Um, telling Trump to shut up. Mm. So it it was obviously, I read about it completely non-productive, completely like two, two schoolboys trying to, you know, bully each other and talk over each other. Mm. <laughs> and it is embarrassing. Like I, I wrote um, a while back, I've written a bunch of stuff, but I wrote an apology to the rest of the world from the United <laughs> States. And I have it on my blog. I've, I've put it on Facebook a couple times since writ I've written it. I think it's time to put it out again because I know that <laughs> the entire rest of the world is laughing at us. And it's a weird feeling. Well, that blog post, Ruth, um, I have listened to previous episodes in your channel. Uh, I believe it's called Eating Cake. Is that correct? Yes, Eating Cake. Yep. So I'll put a link to that um, that particular channel on this episode. You're mentioning that this blog post of yours went viral. Is that correct? I uh, basically apologize for all the horrible things we've done to the world on be just as a citizen, just as one citizen. And I'm indigenous too, so I'm a lutic. So I write this big, long apology, for, and I try to be as specific as possible. <laughs> Yeah, I, I haven't heard of that um, that Native American name before, Ruth. It's the land that they come from. Is that situated northwestern as well? Yes, it's the Aleutian Islands, and the Aleutic people 
uh, originate in the Aleutian Islands, but we traveled a little bit into Alaska, so we're slightly different. Okay, yeah. Um, I guess um, you wouldn't be recognizing the, the Canadian-American border so much. I wanted to say I really like that opening. Um, we try to do that here in Seattle at our Extinction Rebellion meetings. Okay. Um, and I, uh, where I work, they do that. And I think we're going to start that on our podcast as well because I really like that idea. Yeah, it's become very much a social convention within Australia, um, all dependent upon the involvement of uh, Indigenous folk and away you go. So it's become something quite ingrained with the way that we, we do our things. So yeah, thanks for pointing that out. Yeah. So just talking a bit then about the, the political differences in, in the US, because the way that you're describing it, Ruth, it does certainly sound a lot more polarised than it does within Australia. Um, one other thing that, that has caught my eye as well, Ruth, is that you admin a Facebook group called Leftisms, and it oh, yeah. seems like there's, um, there's, well, you can split, at the risk of it being reductionist, you can split the, the camps of thought within that group into three different groupings. Uh, you can correct me. Would that be a fair analysis? Well, that's interesting because I actually started the group um a year ago, uh, a friend's, um, my Facebook page got to the limit and friends encouraged me to start a group with the same rules. So um, I think uh, leftisms is probably one of the few leftist groups that try not to hold liberal views like um, supporting the Democratic Party. And yes, um, I think the main group is probably socialists, Marxist socialists, mm -hmm. and then you've got the democratic socialists, and there are people who get in there who are part of the democratic party and who are middle of the road, and they, they do think that the democratic party can be reformed and improved. And they keep trying to go in and keep trying to do that. But most of us in there realize that's not going to happen. And we're going to try to form a third party. We're going to try to form social movements and, and organizations that hold power among working people. And so that's what we're trying to do. We also, we also get a few trolls in there. And people don't see it because I try to just quietly get get those posts deleted hmm. but there are people who come in who deliberately try to sort of upset the apple cart <laughs> um they wouldn't be like proud boy types now would they yes yes there's a few of them that come in and um another group is the people who are extreme leftists we're talking Marxists, or not not Marxists, we're talking Stalinists and Maoists. Ah, okay. And they come in, and, and so it's really a challenge, because what I want to do is I want to keep all the groups on the relative left from, like, killing each other. <laughs> so I don't know if you all realize it in other countries, but we're on the verge of civil war here. I mean, they have, at these protests, these big protests, like these big BLM protests, they the conservative uh, states are trying to give the go-ahead for people to 
accidentally run over protesters and not have any punishments. So, and this is starting to happen more and more where, where right-wing people drive into a crowd of BLM protesters. And there are several states that are trying to do away with any punishment. It's sort of getting a little scary out there. See, I, it's an interesting um, situation that you've got there with that Facebook group, Ruth, because I don't know how unique that is compared to American politics in general, but it seems like you've got a very microcosmic thing happening there that, that might be um, a, a snapshot of the US left. You've got all those it different is. factions. It's quite interesting. And I think it sounds like there's that greater understanding of the different variety of spectrums of leftist positioning, which I don't yeah. think there is as great a sophistication within Australia, but it is there in Australia. But I think there are a few lessons that can be learned um, from the American experience and, and what you're describing there, Ruth, particularly as it seems like things have polarised and become so opposed to the point where things might escalate to some. Is that what you're suggesting there with the idea of civil war or is this all exaggerating or this is what we're trying to gauge here is Aussies and international peoples watching? So um, although much of my work is trying to keep the different left factions from fighting on on my personal page, which I have 5,000 and then leftisms. Hmm. So, but I do notice that um, there is a, a common enemy of the right wing and and Trump is the leader and basically he's given the right wing who we would consider fascist the proud boys I've been to these events I've been to an event where the the proud boys show up there were 50 of them and there were hundreds of leftists but the proud boys get police protection and they carry guns wow and um the leftists have a the John Brown Gun Club, uh, where they legally can carry, but but basically leftists don't want to run people down on the street, and that's like always the danger. But these Proud Boys go and they find leftists they can go and beat up, and it's and it's a little bit scary because I've been to um and we have no police protection and they have protection from the police and then they have protection from the commander in chief. He's like telling them to stand by. And so that's like the scary thing about being a leftist nowadays. Yeah. So just talking about the experience there, the actual political actions, Ruth, uh, are both camps actually face to face with each other? And there's just like a line of blue separating them? Because when you compare that to what happens in Australia normally is that Whenever there has been instances where events have brought out both leftist and right righty types, fascist types, there has been that conscious cordoning off by state when during those actions. There's that interesting dynamic, that spatial dynamic that happens in Australia. How much of that happens in the US or is it, is it that outright partisanship there um, with the cops towards the right? How does that work on your side of the world? A good question. Um, I can only speak to the Seattle events. I've been to quite a few. And what happens is they are cordoned off and the police are always there surrounding the right wing Proud Boys or whoever the right wing people are, protecting them, facing out. 
surrounding them in a circle, protecting them, and then sort of watching us and making sure we don't go where we're not supposed to go. So there is that, but when we walk off site, like when we go to our cars, everyone tries to stay in groups because the Proud Boys often regularly attack people on the street, beat people up, even women, just for being a leftist. Mm. Yeah, after that explanation, Ruth, it sounds like the comparison from US to Australia is that within Australia there, there does seem to be a bit more of a, a greater state presence, particularly in terms of crowd and spatial management. Although we can say that um, there has been the experiences of clashes between lefties and righties within Australia, but it does sound scary that there is some real organisings of right-wing groups within America, and I think the comments that, that Trump made at the end there of that first presidential debate definitely looked to enable a lot of those groups. Because, I mean, to, to be quite honest, I wasn't really particularly aware of the Proud Boys until he mentioned it um, in the debate. And uh-huh. to me, it came across as an act of bastardry when um, afterwards he was asked about it and he said, oh, who are they? I don't know about them. I just said it because it was a cool thing to do. <laughs> yeah, that Trump always has always come across to me as the kind of guy who will just need to say what he needs to say in order to, to get to his end game. But... That idea of real escalation, that's something I I am sensing. And what does that look like, Ruth? Because one other thing as well is that it looks like Trump is trying to work towards some sort of constitutional loophole here in terms of what happens if he doesn't get the votes. And I can talk a little bit more about that, but um, I just wanted to get more thoughts from you, Ruth, about this idea of escalation in the the US. Where where do you think things could, could potentially head from here? That's that's really interesting to look at. Um, I should also mention, as far as protests go, for for several uh, for a few years now, the left wing has really had to deal with police, and it's not just that we consider them brutal in killing black men all over the country all the time for no reason. Um, it's very hard to be a protester now because they, the police engage in tactics that are extreme and not called for. Mm. Most of the protests are peaceful, and they will use tear gas and chemicals and techniques like kettling where they surround the protesters and then push them into like a circle and then just arrest all of them or spray them all with tear gas or mm. something, rubber bullets, and people are injured by that. So it's becoming like these little rebellions in the in the police are considered by most of the left to be fairly fascist in nature. So it's become protesting is a little scary, and I decided um, never to bring my son anymore, and probably a lot of parents are deciding not to bring their children anymore. You mentioned a, a tactical term there, Ruth, referred to as kettling. That term I'm familiar with, particularly over the last half year with the Black Lives Matter movement within Australia. Now, the last significant movement within Australia, and it stopped since then under the guise of social distancing. So state and government have really clamped down on the idea of any 
protests and it's been framed within that narrative. But the last big action um, within Black Lives Matter within Sydney, of course, all the events happened with, within all the different um, big capital cities within Australia. But within Sydney, um, which is uh, neck and neck these days with Melbourne is competing to be the biggest city. But within Sydney that day, there was quite blatant kettling that was happening there with police and protesters. And that was their efforts of dispersal. Yeah. Now, in Australia, it um, if, if push does come to shove, I think um, the police will definitely exercise their right, well, I wouldn't say uh, universal right, but in order to maintain their presence as state, it needs to degenerate to violent means in order for them to express their state presence um, express within this kettling tactic. And I think it was definitely effective in the sense that um, it did stop people coming back if they were tempted to protest again in events that were not going to be endorsed by the police and they were considered by New South Wales police, sorry, the state that Sydney's in, um, as outright illegal. So it's been, through violence, has been a disincentive. But the, the thing that's in Australia that we don't necessarily need to um, consider as a variable here in terms of turning out to a protest is the concept of experiencing potential uh, live rounds, uh, whether it be yeah. normal bullets or rubber or plastic or tear gas. The worst that uh, we've encountered in Australia is... Um, getting tasered or getting pepper sprayed, which of course are very harmful things to experience on their own. But there doesn't seem to be the suite of uh, potential lethal tactics that, um, that could be applied in Australia compared to America. The other thing I just wanted to query a little bit further here, Ruth, is the fact that with police, it seems to be a bit more locally administered within the US compared to Australia. Within Australia, police, the buck stops at state level. So... There does seem to be a bit more, uh, and I would argue, a more corporate uh, sentimentality in terms of how it's all administered. So they're seeing, in that sense, there seems to be a, an amount of regulation there compared to the US where police is more local government-based. And from there, it seems like it's a bit more of a jungle thing where different police stations different counties they have their own rules they have their own approaches some might be above board and according to law some not so much the effect of it is is that it continues to and this is my theory that it continues to lower the bar in terms of the the lethal tactics that will be applied would that be a fair assessment then ruth to me it seems like there is the, the greater hazard with 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 doing things in the us right now compared to how things are in australia well that's that's interesting yeah lowering the bar i live in seattle which is one of the three anarchist uh designations i guess that trump has made um because of the blm protests Sorry, Ruth, just to cut in there, yeah. I do. I know that there was that, that event where an entire police station, I think, in your neck of the woods got taken over. Is that correct? Yeah. So here in Seattle, we, we burned down our um, east police station on Capitol Hill and turned, uh, we actually turned the entire like seven block, blocks into like this combination of Woodstock and like a. Uh, Occupy, and it it was like that for a few weeks, and I went down, and it was super peaceful. It was like Woodstock and Occupy 
at the same time. And there was free clothes and people could live there. And there was a garden. There was music, everything that you need in a little city. Um, and there was like the food was just stacked and you could just come and take bread. But they had, they had burned down the police station and here in, here in Seattle, and I'm sure down in Portland and in New York, which is also an anarchist designation, or I forget the word, um, anarchist something. I think um, it was like anarchist autonomous zone or something. Yeah. The government ended up making the term up, didn't they? There's some word he uses. I can't remember what it was. It's like designation, but. Anyway, but we we see the police as an unnecessary force, especially because they have gotten so violent. And the Seattle police are under a an order from the federal government to reform their ways, and um, they they um, because of several killings that were completely unnecessary. Um, like a, a Native American woodcarver who was slightly hard of hearing who had a wood carving knife and they just gunned him down in the street Jeez. <laughs> several years ago. And, mm. and then a woman called who was um, experiencing some anxiety for, she called for some help and they ended up killing her in front of her kids. Just the use of force has been extreme. And so America, uh, Seattle, people are fed up but as far as the local issue of the police i know in portland um there's also been like non-stop protests every day blm protests for like over 100 days mm. and the um trump tried to send in federal troops and the local mayor and said she didn't want the federal troops but there was a big battle between them like who was going to prevail? Was Trump going to keep sending in his federal troops? And they, I guess they were uh, kidnapping leftist protesters off the street in vans, just picking them up and taking them away. Mm. <laughs> it's a mess. I might refer to a previous podcast episode that's happened on, on, and I guess I can use names now, Thorn and Your Side, where... Uh, I interviewed an, an old mate, John McGuire, and in our latest episode, we talked about um, political movements and sports and COVID. And one thing that we reflected upon was how different big sporting institutions have, I suppose to me, quite bizarrely found themselves positioned to, to, to really fill this real vacuum that seems to have been emerging in the US in terms of leadership. <laughs> So myself and John were talking about different examples about how the NBA was really looking to hook in with the, the Black Lives Matter movement. And they were doing it in their own particular commercial liberal way, but uh, the sentiment was there that the, they were trying to do things to highlight the issues regarding Black Lives, the Black Lives Matter movement, that levels of government might necessarily be providing the, the care and consideration towards that further lends itself to, I think, where we could potentially drive at here for the remainder of the episode, Ruth, where there does seem to be uh, that huge leadership gap within the U.S. governance structures in terms of where to go from here, which I think Trump has done his best to certainly exploit the way that he's presented himself as being um, outwardly advisory. But for me, the interest here is what is the response? And it seems to be 
being played out uh, quite particularly within, and this is very interesting to me, being played out quite well uh, within that Facebook group that you administer, leftisms, where there's different schools of thought and what the response should be. Yeah, I mean, is escalation a hazard here, Ruth, or is or is that going to be part and parcel of what these different positions uh, within the U.S. left are, are taking um, towards how to respond? Because there's there's some that that are that are a bit more insurrectionist, others that that are a bit more, I suppose, liberal in the sense that um, change will happen if you vote the right person in, and then you've got the absolute bananas people who will just basically say, no, we need to recreate the similar. Similar political circumstances that happened within Soviet Russia 50 years ago. We need to turn the turn the time back in order for things to prevail. So it's a, it's a very interesting group, to say the least. It's interesting the highlighting that. And I think back to what little bit of socialist um, training that I've had. Um, I'm not a very good scholar and I'm not a very good Marxist because, like, I don't study and I don't read very much. I just like to hang out on social media. But I think what a Marxist would probably say about all this is that the ruling class is in conflict. Some of them want to go one way and some of them want to go the other way. And so there's no unity at the moment. So that's probably one way to explain everything that they're, they're in trouble. They're, they don't have a unifying way to see things and then the left is also not only do we have to deal with the right wing but in the left we're constantly being um i don't know um mentally fought with by the liberal class who wants us to just get with the program and vote for biden and why why won't we do that don't we care about other people Mm. whereas the problem is much bigger than just one person. The problem voting for Biden and electing a liberal isn't going to solve the problem. It's just going to like make it go under the radar a little bit. That's how we see it on the left, I think. Yeah, uh, with that idea of the, 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 the Marxist way that you've portrayed it there, Ruth, I think you're, you're quite spot on there in terms of there's there's two different problems emerging and um, it just depends on where the interest in, in the, the solution is. Uh, right. Mine personally is is that um, I, I, I'm, I'm interested in one and I really couldn't give a fuck about the other. <laughs> right. Yeah, like in terms of the, the upper class thing, I think um, what this, this this pandemic has particularly contributed to is a, is, a, is an outright crisis of capital where um, I think the ones that normally control all of that sort of stuff or looking to make an enterprise, they're not really quite sure where to, to put the money these days. Um, and I think that's being played out, particularly on a, on a national level where America is no longer so much the superpower. They're, they're unable to necessarily enforce the... The order of things through military diplomatic means they're unable to, to maintain that balance now you're seeing other countries step into the fray and uh, i think it's leaving the capitalist class wondering whether the best place is to invest right now whether whether it requires a change of tact and um and in turn also different nationalist following yeah they not only want a good place to invest but they aren't concerned for all the suffering people of the world, all the, the poor who can't eat. They want to set up a system that's just going to work and they don't have to worry about it. 
Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's it's never, and I suppose that's why I'm not necessarily interested in it because whatever is going to eventuate, um, I think it'll still be the same practice where it will never be a sustainable thing and it will continue to kill people. So there's that. But amongst stuff that, that is a bit more reflect, reflective of class interests, um, that's being played out in the US right now. And I suppose the solutions being offered, particularly what's being bandied about within your Facebook leftism group, Ruth, there doesn't seem to be any particular uh, overlap. They all seem to be disparate. Um, Actually, I disagree with that. Really? Yeah. Yeah. You know, the common one that um, seems like if we could just get this one thing, it would change things. And I would say Medicare for all seems to be, and along with that, someone Bernie or someone like Bernie would have seemed to have fixed a lot of things. And if we had Medicare for all, we would have gotten improvement and most of these other areas but see this is that's very interesting Ruth because that is something that um that I would entirely overlook and the reason being is that within Australia this is stuff that we take for granted like we've got we've got a universal health system I mean it's not absolutely perfect it has regressed a bit in the last decade but um it still exists we're the only ones that don't have it like Canada has it most of Europe has it Australia has it and and we don't, we, and because we can bomb the rest of the world and do, people can't do shit. Yeah. <laughs> thought a lot about that. Like, what is the one thing? And I think um, that would be like the one thing, if we could get that implemented, it would bring us a long way toward at least democratic socialism. Okay. Well, what's what's your thoughts on how to get there, Ruth? Is uh, does this happen from the ground up? Does this happen through waiting a, a generation or two for AOC to to pop up and say all the right things? How how does it happen? No, no. Um, in fact, here in Seattle, we have um, an organization called Socialist Alternative, and we have a Seattle City Council member, Shama Sawant, who's actually a Marxist socialist. Okay. She was the one who pushed through 15 an hour. Before it became nationwide, we were the first major city in the nation to have it. So now it's becoming a popular thing, 15 an hour. And in Canada, they didn't have socialized medicine all at once. One province got it, decided to do it and ran with it, and then the rest of them got it. So I think if one state could get socialized medicine, then other states would pick it up and eventually everyone would get it. So you're saying that um, it would be about agitating different local institutions and then, then some sort of domino thing happens. Is that how it might potentially come about? I think so, because that's what happened with $15 an hour, and that's what happened with socialized medicine in Canada. We almost had it in California, and California is completely run by Democrats, and everyone had voted to pass looking at it and stuff. But you know what? The executive, I'm not sure exactly how it happened, but I think it was the executive committee there tabled it. And so it almost happened in California. <laughs> mm. 
socialized medicine, it would improve every other quality of life. For instance, people wouldn't have to marry, wouldn't have to stay living at home, wouldn't have to do all of these things in order to just live and just survive. One last question there then, Ruth. What do you think yeah. is stopping that from happening? <laughs> so I have thought a lot about this, a lot. And um, America seems very sedate. Um, a lot of, see, I was, um, I studied uh, socialism under people who were Marxist-Leninist, Trotskyists. And a lot of times Trotsky isn't included in there. But he was really interesting, and I know very little about him, but I know he was the one who talked about agitating the masses, getting them agitated, and also the eternal revolution uh, or the constant revolution. And so I think the key is, see, in America, our education makes us very sedate and makes us trust in leaders. In fact, the cornerstone of capitalism is to think that there are people who are superior to us who are going to run our lives. And so the key is to try to educate people one-on-one, -on -one, educate your friends, educate your family, educate people on social media. The fact that we have to actually take the reins of our lives and, and ask for what we need and make demands. I think teaching people how to make demands is like the primary thing. Mm. Uh, starting out small, maybe making a demand in a workplace or a relationship, but ultimately we, the people, sort of have to band together and make demands. How that happens is, is still the, the additional burning question. It <laughs> might be good to have another, um, another episode to have a chat about that one, Ruth, because uh, I might just put a bit of a, a precursor on it, though. I, I do think that um, there are different uh, lefty approaches that could be made in answering that question. So that might uh, present itself as, a, as an interesting discussion, I reckon. In the meantime, Ruth, uh, I'm, I'm glad that we were able to get through uh, yet again um, this technical shit that yeah. keeps happening with every episode that I record. Yeah. You've been very yeah. patient and I appreciate it. And I appreciate you inviting me on. So uh, I guess at this point, Ruth, I'd be very happy for you to um, to be maintained as Thorn in Your Side's US correspondent, if that would be okay. Oh, yeah, I'm happy to do that. <laughs> Thanks, Ruth, and I'll catch you later and stay safe and stay away from the Republicans because it seems to be that's where you're literally catching something. I know. <laughs> All right. Have a good night or morning. Cheers, Ruth. See ya. Okay. Cheers.